welcome to episode 28 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I'm delighted that you're here today, hanging out with me on the playground. You never know what to expect during these times we get to spend together. Before I introduce you to today's mystery guest, I invite you to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001, and I want to give a special shout-out to the newest people on Instagram with me, to the newest followers, Ebru and Sarah from Walk With Me Ottawa, Dr. Asma from Asthma's Table, and Ovarian Cancer's Ottawa Walk of Hope. I love getting to meet people and then connecting with them on Instagram and other social media. Connecting with people, as you will hear in today's episode, is awesome. So today, I am ridiculously excited to have a chat with my smart, funny, and delightful friend and former colleague at OCISO, Fabrizio Valenti. And yes, that is the coolest name ever. Welcome, Fabrizio Valenti, or should I say, Dr. Fabrizio Valenti. From his uh, LinkedIn strategy evaluation, economic analysis, senior consultant at KSAR and Associates, Dr. Valenti, Fabrizio, Fab, did I get everything right? You did. Let's go with Fab. Dr. Valenti really attributes a few skills and capacities that I don't have. I have a PhD in economics, and I feel that, you know, doctor should be attributed to people that can save lives. Uh, and uh, uh, I surely cannot. So Fabrizio, Fab, that guy, well, it's okay. That guy. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I, I'm going to put this into context because mm-hmm. context is important. Sure. So we we met when we were both at OCSO. I was working at the Finn Mentorship Program, and you were sitting literally right, right across the divider from me. That's right. I was a volunteer at OCSO for uh, a few months while I was waiting for my Canadian work permit. Yeah, what a great decision was that to to spend my time that met you and a bunch of other very interesting people, some of uh, whom uh, have been on this podcast, sharing their experiences, their their lives, their perspectives. Yeah, so feeling very lucky to to have gone through that. Well, I'm feeling very lucky to have met you because you are literally one of my favorite people. You always make me laugh. You always make me smile, and you always make me think. And likewise. Oh, come on now. It's true. Come on now. So I'm just so excited that you're here. And I just, uh, me too. I literally yeah. just clapped, like of with joy. I clapped, and you could probably. I heard that. You heard that, right? Yeah, yeah. Do not edit it out of the podcast. <laughs> I shan't edit it. So you know, because you've done your homework, you know kind of what we do. And I've sent you the questions. And that's I'm not telling tales out of school here. I, you know, I I want people to be prepared so that they can come on and we can we can have a good career chat. I am as prepared as I've ever been, uh, which means barely. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for coming on and hanging out with me and the listener on the playground today and uh hey listen let's let's go back to where it all started where did you grow up and go to high school or go to school 
Right. So to the uh, the attentive listener, or I hope listeners, plural, they probably have noticed that I A have an accent. Uh, B I have a funny name. I'm from Italy originally. I was born in Rome, and uh, I grew up and lived most of my life in Rome. I went to high school, as uh, you guessed it, uh, in, in Italy. Uh, high school is a little differently organized, as you can imagine. My understanding is that uh, in Canada and North America in general, students, they tend to they join a high school and they pick certain classes and they shuffle around and have uh, different classes with different people. Uh, and uh, for different subjects. That's really how it works in Italy. In Italy, when you finish middle school, so around age 13, you have to pick some sort of a direction and uh, you join a specific type of high school and you end up for having the same classes with uh, the same people for the next five years. Well, give or take, some new people <laughs> come in, some other people leave. In particular, I have uh, chosen stream of high school that doesn't translate very well. It's called a classical high school uh, or a classical lyceum to be even more precise. So it focuses on uh, literature, art, history, philosophy, and the study of uh, dead languages like ancient Greek or uh, Latin. So you said that there's different streams. That's right. So the classical, which, you know, not surprising, the literature, the art, the history, yeah. the philosophy, the dead languages. There is like a more, um, let's say, it's called a scientific stream. So I focus on uh, math, physics, biology, chemistry, sciences. And, you know, but I don't want to give you the, the, the wrong impression. It doesn't mean that uh, if you choose a classical stream, uh, you don't study, study math or sciences. It just means that you have a different mm. uh, weight in terms of hours that you spent on a subject rather than another, right? Then there are uh, other lyceums, uh, other high schools that uh, focus on uh, arts, languages, and then there are technical schools, which mm. instead focuses on uh, more practical skills. Uh, there is like a hospitality school or um, mm. agribusiness, or it could be um, accounting. So more oriented to people that are not planning to go to university, right? That after high school, they would like to just start a profession of some kind. So that's the main difference between the two types of high school. At least that was the intention when this kind of uh, uh, structure was uh, put in place. At this point, we're talking about uh, almost a century ago. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that uh, uh, if you do a technical high school, you cannot go to university, right? That does not mean that at all. I went to high school, uh, to university, and I went through my PhD with a bunch of people that went through a technical high school. But it just, that is just the, uh, the way the education system was planned and structured. And I, in my personal opinion, it puts a lot of, uh, uh, a big weight on uh, somebody who's just 13 and... Uh, mm -hmm is being asked at a point, so what, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Or what do you think you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> and uh, obviously, at that age, nobody has a clue, right? Um, but still, that's a choice that uh, you're asked to, to make. But on the other hand, it doesn't preclude, it's not a final decision. You can switch uh, halfway through. And even if you go through the whole, uh, with a whole career for the same type of uh, high school, you're not in any way precluded from choosing a career that is not, or a university that is not in line with what you study in high school. 
my high school, it was just, it was just us. It was just, you know, people that went to this um, classical high school, right? Yeah, just a, a few blocks down the, the road, there was a uh, scientific, scientific high school, right? Nowadays, I find them to be a lot more mixed, also because it's a, a number of uh, other streams have been created or uh, have been expanded. Uh, I was talking earlier about artistic high schools. They did exist when I went through high school, but they were not as popular as they are today. So today there's a higher diversity of streams and choices that kids can make. So often they are, they're, they're in the same building, these, uh, these different schools. Normally though, they are aggregated in a way that, you know, it makes sense thematically. You might have teachers that uh, mm. teach at different streams, right? So you, you normally might have, you know, an artistic and a classical high school in the same building, less likely to have a hospitality uh, mm-hmm. high school and a classical high school. That's it. Well, thank you. And what about the poor people that are taking trades? Where do they go? They have their own, uh, <laughs> they have their own buildings. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their own uh, high school. Yeah, yeah. But there is no system like a, like in Canada with um, college, right? Mm. Uh, after high school, uh, there is uh, there are apprenticeships. Mm. But as far as I know, it's been a while. There is no college like equivalent uh, after high school. Okay, so then how did you know that what? you wanted to get into the classical high school? Well, that's that's a good question. Um, it is a variety of factors. I was uh, I always thought that I was uh, particularly inclined towards the uh, uh, more literary-oriented subjects. Uh, at the same time, my mom went to uh, the kind of high school. And uh, I got to be honest with you, Antonio, <laughs> it is considered to be, at least, you know, what I've been told by, by my parents and my peers and all the, the people that I attached value to, uh, it was considered to be, you know, the the better type of high school. So I said, well, I want to do that because it's a little harder. It's a little more, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's true, a little bit more prestigious perhaps. So I said, well, I want to do that. And now I know it's all nonsense, right? But I was 13. (laughs) (laughs) These things are important when we're 13, for goodness sake. They are still important to an extent today. It's time to get rid of that. Absolutely. All right. So then I'm assuming that you knew that you were going to go to university afterwards? Yeah, that was never a question, to be honest. The question was, okay, what university, what you're going to study, right? What do you want to do? And uh, I had a few options that I was uh, considering, and they were all very, very different, very, very diverse (laughs) range of options, which really might give you an idea of uh, how little clarity I had at that time in terms of what I wanted to do when mm-hmm. I am with my career. So I was considering, uh, I was considering medicine. Oh my uh, gosh. I know, right? I even took a preparatory course to take the venture test mm-hmm. for medicine uh, wow. the year before I graduated. So, I mean, it was a, it was a serious option. But wait, wait, don't but, you yeah. think it would have been easier to make that decision had you been taking this, like gone to a STEM? 100%. I, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, my options were medicine, as I said. I was considering engineering. Oh, uh, my gosh. You're blown up. Right? <laughs> Jeez. 
uh, economics, which is what I ended up doing, and mm. history. So barring history, yes, you're right. I should have gone to a uh, scientific high school. I didn't, no. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> again, I have no... There's no regrets there. And I don't, and again, I, I don't think the preparation that I got from the high school I, I went to stopped me from going to, let's say, to a, in, an engineering university, to pick engineering in the university. I mean, I did an entry test for engineering that summer. I passed it. So potentially I could have gone that way, right? I just chose not to. You know, uh, you're, you're just completely blowing my mind. Like the idea uh -huh. of going into university, taking a course, you've a program you've never really taken before and actually taking the entrance thing and being able to take it. Well, I mean, there was some preparation. It wasn't just, you know, I woke up in the morning and I said, well, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to take a test to join a faculty to, to spend a course of engineering. There was some preparation. That's, uh, A, I would hope so. And yeah. <laughs> That makes me feel a little bit better. So there you are taking economics. Yes. Did you did you know you're like, oh man, this is it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna keep studying until I get my PhD. Or how did that evolution occur? Yeah. So actually before we get there, let me take control of your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that that decision, that point in time where you know this I was deciding what am I going to do, right? In, uh, in university was uh, very difficult, very challenging. And um, I mean, to this day, I wonder, you know, what would have happened? What if I did something else, right? And uh, I am not sure today that the reasons why I ended up studying economics were the right reasons. I know, I, this doesn't mean that I'm not happy with the final result, right? That is uh, mm -hmm. studying economics and going through this uh, career path that uh, I went through. It just happened to be a, a happy accident, a happy result, a lucky result, really, of uh, a decision-making process that I think was guided by the wrong reasons. And uh, the wrong reasons were really, oh, well, I think that if I study economics, I'm going to, I'm going to have a a good career, many options in terms of, you know, career results. Engineering, I wasn't completely sure about, you know, how how easily I would have been able to go through the through the courses. And so it was a little intimidating. Um, and medicine was like, you know, eight, eight years of uh, education that I taught at that time. I was not willing to do. Yeah, little did I know that uh, I was going to spend more than eight years studying economics. <laughs> so uh, when you look back, well, that argument wasn't that solid. And it, the, the reason why I didn't pursue a degree in uh, history, which was uh, sort of, you know, maybe my, the thing that I would have studied with more passion rather than, you know, calculation was that, well, am I going to ever find a job with a degree in history, which, you know, probably not, to be honest, that's <laughs> probably still true. So again, you know, like, I've made a choice based on career prospects rather than uh, passion or interest. And today, now that I know what I know, now that I did what I did, I think that was not the right way to go to approach that decision. And again, that's fine. I don't have, uh, I don't regret it 
because I got lucky and I ended up liking what I studied. <laughs> and uh, I ended up having a career that I find interesting and motivating and stimulating. So all is well what ends well, but the premises were not the right premises. Okay, I find that very interesting. And my next question is about pivoting. Yes. Because you've pivoted. Oh, yeah. I love to pivot. About your, tell us about your pivoting, <laughs> please. Well, exactly. Um, there's been um, several pivots in my life. I would say that the first and perhaps more significant one came towards the end of my PhD. So again, this is like a, a recurring theme, perhaps, in, uh, in my career. Making decisions for the right reason, for the wrong reason. For the wrong reason. <laughs> um, and then, you know, make it work anyway. <laughs> and um, so when I finished my master's degree, we were in uh, full recession and it wasn't just Italy, it was uh, the whole world. We were, and especially Europe, yeah, if you recall, 2010, between 2008 and 2010, we had, of course, the subprime crisis in North America. Then in 2010, we had the uh, public debt crisis in uh, Europe. Well, the economy was not looking good. So entering the job market at that time was not a fun prospect. So um, I had the option uh, of doing a PhD to continue with my master thesis supervisor and take that thesis and expand it into a, into a PhD. She, she liked me. I liked her. Um, we got along. I thought she was, and she is uh, a very smart researcher. And so I thought, why not? Again, probably not the best reason to, to pick a PhD or decide to pick such a, an important life or career uh, decision. Uh, okay. It okay. Is, yeah. So what do you think would be a good reason? I think a good reason would be being really passionate about what you're deciding to study. And going back, I would still do a PhD, but I would not do it on the subject I ended up doing. It. Two questions then. Yeah. What's the, what was the, the name of your thesis? Uh, you know, I don't remember. I had a long name, okay. essays on something, something, uh, economic growth. But anyway, to try to explain what this was on, it was a, a theoretical analysis, economic growth models with specific characterization. So a lot of math, a lot of theoretical abstract math to try to create, well, a model of how a, an economy functions under certain circumstances. Very niche topic. Very, very niche topic, which is why I ended up going through my first big pivot at the end of my PhD, because I was thinking, well, well, that was a slog four years of this <laughs> and at the end of the day i have this tome, very, <laughs> tome. yeah this very elegant math these very complex equations mm -hmm. it, who's going to care about it who's going to apply them or what difference are they going to make well maybe in uh, 70 years the small con contribution i've made will be further expanded by somebody else into something else into something else into something else and it would be just a tiny minuscule part of an improvement in our understanding of uh, economic systems 
great, but that's really not what motivates me, you know, because at the end of the day, I see what happens today. That is like seven people read my paper and are interested in it. Five <laughs> like it, two hate it. <laughs> and, and that's it. And I'm talking about global features here. Huh? <laughs> and, uh, so at the end of my PhD, I was like, well, okay, uh, we need to... We need to pivot here. <laughs> we need to change. We need to do something else. And uh, I got very lucky. During my um, university years, I was very involved in uh, student organizations, mm -hmm. uh, especially European. Uh, this, this was a European wide student organization. It was called the Board of European Students of Technology. And we oh. organized cultural exchanges, uh, courses, and uh, we just had a, a lot of fun in the process. Um, yeah, <laughs> great time. But also, I mean, I created some very meaningful connections with uh, other people across, well, across the whole continent, really. I had the opportunity, uh, and just, you know, a very serendipitous moment. I was chatting with a friend and um, he was telling me, oh, well, I'm finishing my uh, my master's thesis at the University of Delft and I'm going to start this project, this research project in Bangladesh about uh, working conditions in the uh, textile industry. And it's really interesting, but it's a lot. I'm looking for a co-author, a co-researcher. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm in. I'll do it. And it was like, oh, well, I wasn't asking you. Well, doesn't matter. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it. And uh, we uh, we headed to Dhaka in Bangladesh and uh, we've run this, uh, this study. Again, I don't know how useful it was for the people that we are trying to, to support, but it was really transformational uh, for my career. Uh, perspective, but you know, to a large extent, also in terms of my own expectations around what I want to do with my life in general for me. So, um, why? Well, let me articulate that a little bit. Oh, yes, you're, you're <laughs> the of the podcast, so you go ahead. All right, exactly. So, I was exposed very, very directly to a uh, very different context, uh, a very different environment uh, culturally socially, economically, and linguistically. And this is not to say that this was the first time I know I uh, stepped out of, uh, of Italy. Again, I, I traveled through Europe a lot. I was lucky to be part of those organizations I mentioned before. You know, traveling in Europe, it's easy. So there wasn't, you know, like the first experience outside of my comfort zone but this was like pretty far out of my comfort zone hmm. and it was very powerful in a way uh, as you know these experiences when uh, you are very young can be well also i mean the fact that we had like no money <laughs> that uh, we were really living with the people that uh, we were supporting or at least trying to support that is you know factory workers and you get exposed to different different types of lives, right? And I thought that was uh, extremely interesting, extremely motivating, extremely meaningful. 
And I was very passionate, and I still am very passionate about these issues around uh, fairness, equality, about riding certain economic systems or improving the way our economic system works for uh, the benefit of everybody involved, right? So I thought, well, this is really bringing what what I've studied in my many years of, of university to life. I see what the point is. I see what mm. uh, why it's important to to understand how international trade works, or you know how labor economics works, how macroeconomic works. Because you know at the end of the day, uh, it it matters to people in a very profound way. And again, I wish I had a chance to have this experience. You know, before I picked my subject for my PhD thesis, right? I would have steered it differently. But again, it's fine. I worked out okay. I worked out well, more than okay. I worked out really well. And uh, at the end of this study, I was pretty short. You know, it was four months at that time. For the first time ever, perhaps, I was like clear about what I wanted to do with my career. That is, okay, I want to work in international development. Great. How do I make it happen? No idea. So once again, I was lucky and I applied and was selected for a fellowship program. It's a program that the government of Italy implements with the United Nations, uh, where people that are selected into this fellowship program, they are assigned to different UN agencies and uh, postings for a period of, uh, of a year and specific UN agencies. I was assigned as a UN fellow, uh, specifically a uh, technical analyst on uh, sustainable development to UNDP, the United Nations Development Program in Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh-huh. So I moved to Jakarta for uh, initially for a year. So that was the duration of the of the fellowship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up staying for pretty much almost, almost two years. Uh, the second year it was on a contractual basis with directly with UNDP. Uh, so not paid by the government to be anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, again, uh, your experience, very interesting. Learned a lot about how this uh, humongous organization works and had an opportunity to really test whether having a career in this, uh, in this sector was realistic or or not. It was, but challenging. Working in that sector takes a, establishing yourself in that sector takes a long time. So you got to be flexible. You got to be able to to pivot, to change uh, and to adapt. And also my life circumstances changed a little bit. Uh, I've met my wife, Jillian, in, um, in Indonesia. She was actually on a similar, a similar program, but sponsored by the government of Canada. And she was working with uh, the ILO, the International Labor Organization, that is another UN agency. So the challenge at that point was to find, you know, our next career move that would work for both of us somehow. Mm -hmm. We ended up going to Sierra Leone. It was in 2016. So you recall that uh, West Africa in between, mostly 2015, uh, went through a terrible uh, Ebola outbreak. And Mm -hmm. I I got a job with Save the Children in uh, Sierra Leone in 2016. But actually, actually this time, 
seconded to the Ministry of Social Welfare, uh, Gender and Planning of uh, the government of Sierra Leone. That was a great experience. I was working with um, with the Directorate of Planning and Strategy, and we were going through some some plans, some developing some programs to support the recovery process of uh, the Ebola outbreak. Hmm. Because as you can imagine, of course, you know, during the outbreak, all everything is focused on dealing with the disease and containing and eradicating the disease. But after that, you got to rebuild. And uh, many livelihoods have been lost, right? People have uh, suffered from long-term consequences from uh, contracting Ebola, so they cannot go back to their previous occupations. Many people lost the tools of their trade because, you know, in the whole panic around Ebola, they were destroyed. Oh, so-and-so as Ebola burn his house, burn his tools because, you know, it's they're dangerous, they're infected. If you're lucky enough to go back to your village, well, oops, what you going to do now? So uh, we were we were trying to put together with inter- with the help of, you know, the international partners and uh, donors. We are putting together a program to support recovery. And again, it wasn't just for survivors and uh, families of people that were affected by Ebola, but also for the whole communities around that. Because as you can imagine, that doesn't really discriminate that much. <laughs> you know, the, the economic downturn and that, uh, that affects everybody. Yeah, that was just a year-long gig. And after that, uh, we ended up moving to Canada. Yet another change, Gillian started working for the International Development Research Center, IDRC, uh, that is a crown corporation of the world. So it's a semi, uh, it's, a, it's a public institution in, in Canada. And uh, I had to find something to do in Canada because, you know, Gillian went all the way to Sierra Leone to be with me, right? And um, it sounded only fair that uh, this time I had to find something to do with it in Canada and went through the whole immigration process. And that took a while, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, things take, take a while. Between one thing and another, I think that between the, the time, the day I set foot in Canada and the day that I was legally uh, allowed to work, I think that six months went by, maybe more. Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, that's the, the time that this kind of uh, bureaucratic processes take. But at the same time, you know, from a personal point of view, that it's uh, a long time to go without uh, working. And it was the first time I went that long without working. It takes, you know, a psychological toll to keep motivated, to keep uh, optimistic, right? <laughs> and, but, you know, I was supported, obviously, by family and friends. And I really, as we said at the beginning of this conversation, I made, uh, I think, the best out of uh, this time volunteering with Vosiso. But when I finally was allowed to work, showed up in Canada with a PhD at this time, but at this point in time, like three, four years of work experience besides the PhD, there's another, like, what, four years and as many other newcomers learn, you're lacking Canadian experience. <laughs> so what did I do? What did I do at that point? Well, I asked my good friend, Tonya, uh, mm-hmm. for some advice. And Tonya's advice is uh, it's always good, but tends to be, tends to be about networking. If you want to if you want to succeed in this, uh, in this context, if you want to, if you're, especially if you're a newcomer, but uh, really this applies to, to anybody, network, 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 meet people. Uh, you do know how much I hate the word network though right like you know that's well what you want to say instead of network connect connect well that's much better 
See, Isn't I it? agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally agree. It's a little more meaningful. I agree. Like, you know, networking for just for the sake of, you know, collecting business yeah. cards. A, pointless. B, everybody hates it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, connect. Connect. Thanks, Tonya. <laughs> there, is a, there is a lot that's better, but that's what it is. Connect. Yeah. But also, you know, cast your net wide because you never know where the next opportunity or the right connection will come. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And uh, mine came from a friend of a friend of the spouse of a good friend of Jillian with whom she went to Guyana when she was finishing high school. Right. <laughs> so through that connection that is very, very remote. I ended up meeting a person, Kevin, that owns or actually owned uh, a company here in, uh, in Ottawa, a consulting firm here in Ottawa. We had a chat. We liked each other. And even if I didn't have any Canadian experience, even if I didn't have uh, any direct experience in um, strategic management consulting, Kevin said, you know what? You seem to be uh, a smart guy. Uh, we like each other. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity. And he gave me an opportunity. Very grateful for that. I st still am. It's many years later. And uh, we started working together. And I still work for the same company now. I mean, like Kevin sold the company, uh, but still works for the for this company they fund, that he created, that he founded almost 20 years ago. Hmm. And uh, I'm quite happy about that. And that's KSAR. And that is K the KSR Consulting Group. We changed slightly our name. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, well, to be fair, that's not all, right? Because, you know, in between, I spent three years in India, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Like you, so you were at OCISO and then, then you left because you got this opportunity. That's right. Worked with uh, KSR for like a year. Maybe a year and a half. And then again, Gillian got an offer she could not refuse <laughs> to, um, to spend a few years in, uh, in Delhi. We discussed it. We talked about it. It was a very short conversation. Uh, she told me, do you want to go to Delhi? And I said, yes, of course I want to go to Delhi. <laughs> and, um, so we went to Delhi and uh, this was in um, 2019. Mm -hmm. May 2019, I think. I got, uh, we arrived in this new country and uh, guess how many people I knew in this country? Like zero, none. I was going to guess. Yeah. Uh, well, it turns out that was not true. That was my first impression. How many people do I know in India that I know of? None. Turns out that was not true. I knew one person that I've met years before in Sierra Leone that now was working in India. <laughs> so we went out for a coffee and uh, I mean, we are, we are good friends to this day, uh, Kartik. Uh, and he opened uh, the doors of his uh, network to, to me. So I started meeting other people and one thing leads to another. I come across a, another Canadian that is now still running a research group in, uh, in India, Sharon. And, um, she tells me, well, I'm looking for somebody to run a research group on financial inclusion and social welfare. And uh, you seem to be capable of doing that. I thought, well, am I? I don't know. Um, this is not really a sector I've ever worked uh, or led or researched in, um, in, in my career. Same time, I did not have a lot of uh, management experience, which is code for I did not have any management experience. <laughs> um, but she, again, she said, you know, I'm 
let's try. Like, let's see if it works. Uh, she got a good mm-hmm. feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we, we went pretty well. I at least it went pretty well, very well for me. I have the feeling that <laughs> they were also happy uh, with me because I ended up being staying with them for uh, for three years for the whole time that I was in, uh, that I was mm-hmm. in India. And I am seeing Sharon in uh, in ten days when she's uh, uh, coming to to Ottawa. So I think cool. she did not hate me. Uh, that's reasonable. Yes. Yeah. And again, what an experience. I've learned so much. First of all, I've learned that I really like to manage to, to be in a management position. I didn't know Listen, that. You're, you're managing this podcast, for goodness sake, today. Oh, well, that's not true. I'm just rambling. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, what a, what a fascinating topic to, to study. So, um, really a pleasure to work in that context but then you know all good things come to to an end we thought it was time to go back to canada so we came back to canada and um i went back to work with the kids consulting group <laughs> and uh once again you know it's funny like it's them i'm enjoying this conversation or you know this uh this stream of consciousness because i'm starting to notice you know patterns and recurring things that i never noticed before as i was mentioning kevin sold the company to uh somebody who used to be a, a consultant for him uh, with him but uh joined after i left so i didn't really cross path with him before jean francois uh-huh. so when i came back you know jean francois and no a no obligations b no no reason to trust Kevin's guts, right? With regards my mm-hmm. regarding my skills or my fit in the organization. But again, we had a couple of conversations and we thought, okay, let's see how this goes. And it's been now a year and four months. I am mm-hmm. um, back with the KSR Consulting Group and uh, I'm quite happy. I haven't been asked to leave yet. So I suppose that the other the other party as well is satisfied. <laughs> so you know what there is about you? Yeah. I'm, I'm listening to you. I think there's such a, there, the, the word charm, okay, charming, but in, in, in a, I don't know what the word to describe it, like a non-traditional kind of charm. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're so ridiculous at times. <laughs> like it just makes me, it makes, I have not stopped smiling this whole, whole time. Although we, you know, when you talk about more serious things, then I'm not smiling as much. But I'm I'm just I'm smiling and and I I do want to mention though how small the world is. Oh wow, ridiculous! Uh, first of all, I'll take the compliment. You know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for compliments. I I shouldn't say it on a, on a public forum, but I work for free just for compliments. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, there is uh, there's something to unpack with uh, <laughs> psychology. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Such a small world. I think that a lot of people feel like they don't have enough connections, a broad enough network. But it's really a matter of, uh, and it, I know it's hard. Eh? It's not. It's not easy for anybody. Uh, but putting yourself out there and reaching out to to people with whom you've built a connection, and uh, really what I've learned throughout like my whole life, like people are willing to help if you ask them and maybe now that i'm saying this out loud there is a conversation to have about you know privilege and uh, Mm -hmm. i'm very aware 
of how privileged I am as a European white male. So a lot of doors open more easily for me than people of color, for example, women as well, and anything that is in between. But in my experience, and I hope, you know, this is not a complete, not a totally narrow-minded assessment, Mm. people are willing to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. I'm always so delighted when I hear newcomers tell me they've been needing these wonderful Canadian people and everybody's so willing to help. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I mean, let's be, I don't want this to to get too too lovey-dovey and, uh, you know, singing Kumbaya across the the campfire. (laughs) People... People will not help. There's going to be a lot of uh, people who are not going to to help. And uh, there's going to be a lot of people are going to take advantage Mm -hmm. of of you and trying to see what's their angle and um, just, you know, feel threatened. Mm -hmm. Uh, by it, by your position and so on and so forth. Again, what I think is important is that you don't need everybody to help. You need one person to help or, you know, a small number of people to help to find the right lucky and again i cannot stress this enough there is a big component of luck there is a big component of privilege i know it's not my experience is not it's not what everybody has no but it's your experience it is it is my experience indeed and I'm glad that you I'm glad that you're here talking about it and which I'm going to ask you what are you most proud of in your career life? All right. This is a tough question. I spent some time thinking about it today. And initially I was trying to think, okay, what did I achieve that makes me Mm -hmm. proud? Maybe it's like a project that was particularly successful or particularly challenging that I managed to conclude. Maybe it's a research project or a study, a publication. to be to be honest and without false you know, <laughs> modesty, you know, I had my share of you know professional satisfactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, full disclosure, I also had my abundant share of you know frustrations and uh, with projects, you know, that you think, what am I doing? What's the point of this? Uh, this has no impact whatsoever. My career is a joke. <laughs> and, oh. uh, so there is there is that as well, right? As a, as it's normal. But you know, as the more I thought about this question, the more I thought, you know what? It's not really. That's not it. That's not what I'm proud of. You know, that's what does. That is not what I think about when I look back at, you know, the different uh, environments in which I've worked. And uh, that is really not what makes me feel good about that, at those stage, at, about those stages of my career. It's more, I, we want to call it the small things. I don't know if they're small things. I think they're pretty big, thing, big things, but they're really the connections that I've made with colleagues, you know, whether I managed to provide some mentorship perhaps, you know, in uh, more recent years to people I work with and uh, help them develop their careers and uh, help them uh, succeed. Or, you know, in general, you know, the, the kind of relationships you establish with your coworkers, but it's not only your coworkers, your managers and uh, the people you're, you're trying to support. Yeah, those human connections and uh, the impact that uh, you feel or they've had on you and you've had on them because it's always like a two-way street. So that would be it. Does that answer your question in a way that you're satisfied with? Well, you know what? I'll tell you something. You yeah. said, oh, you don't want to get too lovey-dovey, but guess what? That's a little kumbaya. Oh, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> no, you know what? It does surprise me. It does. Because I was thinking about this question myself today. And, you know, not necessarily about you, because I knew you were going to tell me about what you thought, but I was thinking about what am I most proud of? And mm-hmm. me, it's definitely supporting people in reaching their goals. For instance, one lady that I met through the job search club or whatever it was called at, at CVE was when mm-hmm. she'd been injured on the job. So people that were injured on the job were in this job finding club kind of deal. She found a job at Walmart mm-hmm. and she's been there for 18 years now. Okay, That is one of the things that I'm most proud of because that has helped her have a job, mm-hmm. have dignity, be able yep. to support her family. So it's it's all of those things. And so to have you mention these connections and relationships, that makes me happy. Yeah. And honestly, if you think about it, Osino is such a, a good place to have that kind of job satisfaction in a way. Right? And uh, at that time, you know, it was it was so important, you know, for it's been so important for me, even for a honestly, from a mental health point of view. Right. You know, I was telling you, you know, it was a time when I was not working, was adding up. And then, you know, at Osito, I was, you know, the the last of the volunteers, you know, I was at the front desk, you know, opening the doors and uh, telling people, go speak with Tanya, she's sitting over there. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't doing anything particularly complex, right? But at the same time, I was feeling part of uh, a system that was really having a, a significant impact, significant immediate visible impact on people's lives, right? And, yes, but I, uh, I will say that uh, Karen knew that you were so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to mention how small of a world it is because when I was off in 2021, I came back to OCSO. I was just off for a couple of months. I uh-huh. came back and who was there but Prana? Okay. Oh, yeah, my God. That's wild. Uh, So what was, tell us the story behind that, please. Well, you know, Perna is, well, essentially she's married to a colleague of Gillian. Well, they were originally both from uh, from India and uh, moved to Canada for for their studies, I think. Met, you know, they had their own lives. And um, Mm -hmm. she... Uh, worked for uh, Osiso for for a while when I wasn't there. I was in India, so she okay. was in Canada. I was in India. She was working for Osiso, and then a few months before I uh, came back to Canada, uh, Perna and uh, uh, her husband moved to Delhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met through Gillian's office, and we were chatting. And Osiso came up, and it turned out that we both had this connection, and therefore. A bunch of uh, mutual connections, uh, including mm-hmm. you, Karen, and uh, and others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just thought that was like, first of all, she's a, a fantastic person, uh, mm-hmm. both from the personal point of view than the professional point of view. Yeah. Um, so I feel very lucky to to know her again. Once again, a, a demonstration of how small of a world. It is. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more you you ask, you probe, you meet, uh, the more you realize that it's actually pretty quick to establish certain connections. Right. Well, there's six degrees of separation, right? That's what I say. (laughs) 
see, this is what I love about you. So they say, not cynical, not, um, you know, I'm being completely sarcastic because you are cynical and <laughs> I don't know. Cynical is not the right word. Uh, I know. I know. It's sarcastic. May I try? <laughs> dry and witty. And I dry. I like dry. Yeah, dry. I think it's a good description. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And okay. What are your top three values? Well, again, let's establish some uh, some ground rules here. Yes. Um, definitions, right? Okay. So what do we mean by values, right? I talk about it and, uh, well, first of all, disclaimer, I'm not a, a philosopher, so I don't know much about morals or ethics. So I'm not going to use terms appropriately, but um, the way I interpret the word value is uh, as uh, guiding principles, right? And uh, not just that, it's the degree of importance that we uh, we give them, right? Yes. So it's a value system. It is uh, you, know, you put together a number of guiding principles and say, well, this is much more important than this, right? Yes. So if we agree on that, I think that before we go into, you know, the three top the top three values, I should make a disclaimer and say that I think that uh, personal values change over time. Yes. And uh, the way, well, what's important to me today was not what's important. What was important to me 15 years ago, and it's not going to be what's important to me in 20 years, right? Hmm. And so not just the values themselves change, but also how we rank them and the importance that we give them uh, changes over time, right? Yes. Okay. So we established the ground rules so we can go together. Uh, <laughs> we, go, we can go oh. into the values. Uh, <laughs> actually answering, answering your question. Um, I haven't stopped smiling and laughing this whole time. Yeah. But you know what's so funny is that yeah. you're, saying, you're going, oh, it's this and it's this and this is. And you know what I would say? I would say values are what are, what are important to you. Well, but that's too generic. It's not precise enough. There we go. <laughs> what's important to me well okay but important for what purpose and what i mean by guiding principles is that what they're important in decision making and making choices not not necessarily ethical decisions but also in uh, deciding you know in terms of morals what's right or wrong what's bad or good right okay so value number one mm. <laughs> and uh, after all that Yes, exactly. And I'm going to cheat on this one. Oh, do it. And uh, you can stop me because I'm the guest. In the... <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to lump together what are actually a bunch of separate values into one. So I'm going to sort of lump together values such as integrity, authenticity, empathy, compassion, service for others into something I don't really know how to call. Uh, but let's say we call it do good. So value number one, okay. do good, right? Second, so we're saying, you know, do good mostly for others. But second, you know, let's, um, let's be honest here. Uh, a little uh, old-fashioned hedonism hasn't hurt anybody. So um, do good for yourself. So um, want to call it self-care. It's a little too new agey for me, self-care as a word. But, you know, it describes it pretty well. So take care of yourself. You know, have fun. Live a little. Make sure you take care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, 
and really just enjoy life because you know there is a lot to enjoy outside of your career mm -hmm. uh, and your work and uh, the last one i want to call it resourcefulness mm -hmm. uh, that i i don't know use your brain i don't know exactly if this um, applies this follows very, very well the definition of, uh, of values that I established earlier. But I thought it was important to mention that, you know, if one value is too good and the second one is uh, enjoy life, right? Then the third one should be, well, okay, but use your brain. Choose well when, how to balance how you follow these values. And it's about, again, finding balance in what, in, in your instincts, in your values themselves. You know, you see people that go too much one way in service of others and too much the other way in service of themselves. Yep. So finding, you know, uh, the right balance and being resourceful that is, you know, being smart really about <laughs> Uh, as much mm -hmm. as possible about how you approach uh, life and you make decisions and uh, interpret the information you receive from, uh, well, your own in self and uh, outside inputs. It's very, very important. Mm, like you basically, essentially making well-informed decisions. Yeah. Use your brain. That's it. That's, uh, That's I, don't know. I, I, I hear my mom and my dad telling me, yeah, just yes. use your brain. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah. do good, do good for yourself and use your brain. Yeah, or resourcefulness. Because, you know, there's a, a little bit of, uh, I think it's, it's encompasses, you know, resourcefulness. I like it because it encompasses, yes, using your brain, but also okay. uh, being resilient, being uh, mm -hmm. innovative and uh being adaptable mm -hmm. to, to to situations. And uh, again, adaptability is something that I value a lot. I am going to ask you one final question. Yeah. Do you have a motivational quote or words that you live by? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Honestly, I don't. I, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, so I, I'm very lucky to have uh, to find motivation in, uh, in my peers, in my co-workers, you know, in terms of uh, work-wise motivation and my family and friends, you know, encourage me, believe in me. So I have enough motivation coming from <laughs> and, uh, uh, other sources. In, uh, in my life. And we just talked about values, right? So mm -hmm. I use that to orient uh, my nice. decision making. So motivational quotes or words that I live by, uh, no, I, I, I thought about it, trust me. Um, oh, I and uh, I thought about it, I couldn't find anything. And then I thought, I'm not going to make something up. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to Tonya because one of my values is being uh, authentic. Right? That's so right. I'm going to tell her the truth. That is, I don't have motivational quote or words that I live by. So I literally have not stopped smiling. And my question is, did you have a good time? I had a great time. Let's do it again. I can't thank you enough for this. I'm so excited. Thank you so much so much thank you so much fabrizio for joining me on the playground today
Amidst much laughter, there was a lot of sharing stories of career decisions, the role of luck and privilege in constructing our careers, and while no real motivational quotes were shared, Fabrizio did explain his concept of values. I love how Fab shared not just the subjects he studied, but his reasons why he chose them. He reflected on perhaps the wrong reasons he chose that particular path and how a lucky twist of fate helped him create a career that he loves and finds meaningful. His pivots included graduating with a master's degree into a world in recession, which makes me think of the students who graduated during the pandemic years, also a very challenging time for many people. He took that opportunity to expand on his thesis and graduated with his PhD. A recurring theme throughout his career has been, why not? Not, as we discussed, because of a specific passion. But he'd been active throughout his university years, traveling across Europe with the organization he was part of. He met a lot of people throughout that part of his life and throughout his career, moved very far out of his comfort zone, and as his career developed, was able to understand the meaning of everything he had studied because it mattered to people in developing countries especially in a very profound way. Although, and not surprisingly, he did not have a motivational quote or words that he lives by, he did share his trifecta of overarching values. Do good for others, do good for yourself, and use your brain. And what is he most proud of in his career? connections. I thank Fab for connecting with us today and for always being open to connecting with the people I introduce him to. Please do join me for next week's mystery guest and once again, get ready to be inspired. Until then, please follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001 so that we can connect. Wishing you a wonderful week and remember to do good for others do good for yourself, and use your brain. Until next week, when we will jump into the future together. 